You're listening to an episode of Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge, the podcast dedicated to honest conversations with educators about what they do and, more importantly, who they are. I'm your host, John LeMay, and I'm here to highlight the complex and rich lives led by teachers with diverse interests, identities, and stories. Hello! Thanks for joining me on this week's episode, which, as ever, I'm really excited to share with you. Part of what I love about working on this podcast, besides getting the opportunity to highlight some really wonderful educators, is talking with folks who are important within my own development as a teacher. Today's episode gives me the chance to do just that, as I speak with Terrence Wilson, an upper school English teacher at Lausanne Collegiate School in Memphis, Tennessee, and my own former colleague and mentor from when I taught at Lausanne in my first few years as a full-time teacher. Terrence and I discuss his first few teaching jobs, one of which involved Terrence literally competing for his students' attention while a carnival was going on outside. Terrence talks about his identity as, in his words, an intellectual late bloomer, and how that led him to teaching and how it impacts his approach in the classroom. And he shares his thoughts on the importance of choosing good material that engages students, allows them to connect it to their lives, and activates their curiosity about the world around them. I had a really great time speaking with Terrence, as he's both insightful and funny, so let's get right into it. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Terrence. Hey Terrence, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. John, thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad, to, glad to be with you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So what I'm going to ask you to do to begin is go back to the first day of school. Um, by that, I mean your first day of teaching, however you might define that for yourself. You can think about it in terms of your first day of, of full-time teaching, uh, your first day that you really consider yourself to be an official educator. So I'm curious about what you remember from those days, how you felt, um, and sort of how that might have been indicative of just like your first foray into teaching in general. Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, there, I can subdivide this into two days. Then uh, the first day uh, was the first day I ever substitute taught, and mm. um, and I was—I'll be honest with you—I was doing it for the money. Um, <laughs> well, I had—I I was in a situation where I was curious about uh, the profession. I, I had all, the roads were leading to it, and I went through the the processes back back in California, where I'm from. And I remember it was Janelle Ball's chemistry class at Chico High School in Chico, California. And I sat mm-hmm. in the parking lot in my car, um, smoking cigarettes, sick to my stomach because I was so nervous <laughs> about going into a. I, I was. They were calling my bluff. I was going to go into a classroom full of kids, and I was. I was shaking and freaking out. And but I went in, and it was. It, it was. It was okay, and I liked uh-huh. being. I liked. Uh, I wasn't teaching anything per se. I was sub. I was subbing for a particular person. Right. But I felt uh, the endorphins were running, and I was interacting with the kids, and it was I'm not I'm not gonna say it was a, like a fun like a carnival, but I thought this is <laughs> no this is okay. I liked the atmosphere of the high school, uh, the camaraderie, the, the the volatility, and it was it was a lot of fun, and I I began doing that more and more. But that I remember that sitting in that parking lot, I could see the classroom from my car, and thinking I gotta yeah. go in there, and it's gonna be full of kids who I've never met, and if you're not around teenagers very much, they can freak you out. I'm used to them now because I'm with them every day. Sure. But if, you, if you haven't been around them and you're 25 or 30 and, oh, you know, it's crazy. The, the, other, yeah. the other one was my first bona fide day of teaching as a teacher, which was at a, a school also in, in Northern California. Um, and it was a, a charter school, uh, euphemistically referred to as a continuation school. And I'm not sure why it's <laughs> called. I'm not sure why it's called that. But what that means is that there are, the student population are, are those that have, for whatever reason, not, not succeeded or made it in the regular public school system, and they're kind of corralled into this uh, charter school. And it was, I was really, at that point, I was kind of calm. I said, I'm going to go do it, nail this, I'm going to go do it, it's going to be great. In reality, I didn't know what I was doing, and it was a sure. tremendous, it was a tremendous formative experience with, with stratospheric highs and low lows. 40 kids, uh, self-contained, all subjects, all day long, one room. and. Wow. Yeah, that's what I said after the first day. Wow, because I was playing. I was Mister Cool at first. I was cruising yeah. in there, and I had my logo t logo shirt, and I. Uh, but it was um, it was difficult. It was terribly difficult, and but it was that year, and I and I stayed there for one year. But it was very, like I said, it was very formative and very necessary, and it gave me a lot of good scabs that turned into scars that helped me be tougher later on because this population 
was one that I never, I never had experienced before, and I haven't since, where you have kids who are uh, truly kids in need, uh, yeah. kids who, who uh, they're going to, on the, the, their hierarchy of needs, whatever, the Maslow's thing, uh, they're <laughs> still trying to get fed. They're, yeah. trying to get, they're trying to get a jacket. They're trying to get to school. They're trying to get a place to sleep, and they have you know, family issues and whatnot. Um, but coming there, I, oddly, I was one of the only, um, maybe for some of them, the only male adult mm-hmm. yeah. uh, that they interacted with at all who wasn't, you know, um, didn't have a set of a set of issues. Yeah. So that that was that was something else. Um, Do you remember I, like what aspect of it in particular, like in the day to day dynamics, you you found to be the hardest, or you found to be like the most scarring in a sense, where you realized like, wow, I'm I'm really in it, and I'm gonna have to really activate something else in order to make this as positive or effective an experience as possible for me and for the kids. Yes, um, I realized. A I, the the limitations of what I could do academically, uh, mm-hmm. and what and what they would do, could do, and were willing to do academically. I had come from student teaching in a very uh, kind of an idyllic situation where we all mm-hmm. wrote essays and talked about literature and we did activities and had discussions yeah. and all these great things. And these I, I tried that the first week and it was not going to happen. Right. So I had to, I had to to recalibrate my approach toward. Uh, especially toward the literature and the history. Um, so uh, I realized that I had to make things uh, interesting and fun. And, and these, these kids, I didn't have to get them uh, prepped for AP exams and, and turn them into thoroughbreds. <laughs> I want, and in the end, I, I, and I, I remember talking to my, my aide. I had a teacher's aide named Mindy Ramos, who was a, a godsend. Um, she, 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 you know, whatever they were paying her, it was, it was not enough. Mindy Ramos, if she's out there, you know, somebody pattern, she's probably, I think she's a school administrator now. So that's good. That's the kind of administrator we need. But she helped me a lot and making things engaging when we're going through literature, you know, we're not going to write big, huge essays, but we're going to, we're going to try a variety of things. We're going to play games. We're going to try to have these discussions and try and, and get interesting things going for the kids to do. But it was, it, um, you know, I don't, I don't tout my own creativity, you know, but you, you have to, you have to dig deep into a creative place to yeah. think every day. I, I need to, I don't necessarily need to keep these kids entertained all day, but I do need to keep them on board and keep them coming back and give them something uh, to carry forward in, in their lives. You know, some bit of learning, some skill, some knowledge, some appreciation for what they've read or what they've learned or, or, or just even, even just basic common knowledge. Yeah, uh, which yeah. I would spend a half an hour each day. I would go to to the internet and I'd look at what happened this day in history, and then we'd talk about that for for the morning. Um, and you know, that might not sound like the most like, dynamic thing, but you would be surprised maybe at yeah. where those discussions could go and all the new information gleaned from just looking at at what what happened that day in history it kind of became a, yeah. a, a morning thing like this is you know october 12th what happened on this day yeah when it activates their curiosity as well yeah. and here's the other thing you know those kids were um they were they were not good to the world and the world wasn't really good to them uh but they were they were good to me i never had an issue um yeah and this is a a classroom situation i, I don't mean to dwell on this but it is this is a good these are good stories where yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it happened to be on the on the located on the fairgrounds uh, of, of on the Mendocino County Fairgrounds, and um, this was the building that they rented. And there was a duck pond, so we, it, it's warm. It's California, so the, the doors are open, and there's you could get ducks. This duck, mommy duck and the baby ducks walking through <laughs> during a lesson, which didn't <laughs> help focus anybody, but it was kind of memorable for everyone. Um, and another another instance where there was a, a it's a fairground so there was a fair there it was a carnival <laughs> with with uh, some Ferris wheels and rides and the tilt a whirl and all this and I thought you know somebody this is fantastic I'm trying to have class and, and there's a there's a carnival going on outside with a motocross race and the motorcycles are jumping past the window of the building and I'm trying to teach the material so uh, you can imagine that the um, uh, that really. <laughs> It was funny, like, okay, guys, yeah. do you want to learn about this book or are we going to watch the motocross race that's right. happening 
20 yards away. You were literally um, competing with a carnival. Yeah, there was a, there were wild animals carnival, so it was difficult to keep keep focused. But I'll tell you this: at the end of the year, because it, it was my last, um, you know, my last, I, it was a one, it was a one one shot deal. It was a one in and out, because yeah. I, I knew I couldn't I couldn't do that again and again. Um, it was a they threw me a wonderful party, and one of the other jokes was that I I like to think that I dress pretty normally. I have pants that fit the proper length. <laughs> Uh, right. There's I I standard standard fit, um, and they thought that my pants were extremely tight because these were kids who they aspired to be in gangs and they wore extremely baggy clothing, uh-huh. and they thought I was I was running around in essentially a leotard whenever I'd wear a pair of, Le- <laughs> pair of regular fit Levi's. So they got me a a big huge like a, a Dickies outfit with a yeah. huge Dickies uh, khaki pants that were really long, and they got me yeah. this kind of neat white baseball hat with my name in that sort of gothic looking script across yeah. the across the bill and yeah. uh, a shirt and it had a photo session with it and a bandana and all this stuff That's and awesome. i still you know I, I i always thought i always feared like those kids and i'm not a crusader uh, i wish i could say i was but i'm not I, those kids i mean i i gotta hope they're gonna be okay i freaking hope those kids are gonna be okay because they yeah. they could go either way and yeah. uh, but but i tell you what there's Three of them that have since reached out to me wow. uh, through social media, which which has since become a thing, um, and they're it's weird because they're grownups now, uh, yeah. they're adults, yeah. uh, and we we have these normal conversations. I had I had sold uh, an acoustic guitar to one of the boys uh, for for a pittance because he really liked it and wanted to play, mm-hmm. and I sold it to him. And this is in two thousand and three, and I just talked to him the other day, and he, and he sent me a picture of it, and he still has it. Wow. And he was playing awesome. it with his. He was he was sitting with his with his boy, his son, playing it. Wow. Um, yeah. So I felt good. Like, oh, good. That's that's a good thing that's happened. And and I, I, anyway, that that is a a very condensed, maybe not maybe not condensed enough memory <laughs> of that first uh, that, that first year, which seemed to last ten years. But yeah, that's that's what went on. It was a it was a heck of a thing. Well, it's interesting because like um you know I I will have already referenced this like in the intro to the podcast, but like. I, I obviously know you as a as a teacher very well, and I know your teaching style very well. And it's really interesting to hear about sort of where that might have come from, because I think of you as someone who really does aspire to to activate kids, you know, their curiosity to make the literature and make the content as accessible to them, you know, at all levels. And you know, obviously, the school that we taught in is in many ways different from your first teaching experience. But you're still going to have those kids for whom just like literature does not come alive and for whom it's going to be really seem really boring. So I still see like that. It seems like that served you really well as an educator, just in general, sort of wherever you went. Because, I mean, the general setup of our time that we spent together was that we shared a classroom. Right. And I was in the back of the classroom and we would have free periods where the other would be teaching in the classroom. And more often than not, I chose to remain in the room, one, because I want to get work done and two, because I was a new teacher and I wanted to sort of see what what you were doing. So like I obviously like have very vivid memories of what you were like as of what you're like as a teacher. And I see that that sort of coming to bear in a lot of ways like in your time at Lausanne, which is when we obviously uh, found each other. Yeah, folks, uh, John and I have shared classroom space. Um, <laughs> and but you when you met me, I had, I had been teaching for a decade and a lot of yeah. the, a lot of the ugly stumblings had been worked out. Yeah. But, but what you say about making, you know, trying to engage the kids, it, it sounds like such a, a cliche. You must engage the kids, but really you, yeah. you, you kind of do. And, and that comes through in, in personality, I suppose. There are, there are different personality types, and I think I have one that, that is suited well with for mm-hmm. adolescent interaction. Yeah. Um, the other, you know, the other thing is, is having good material to be teaching. Um, yeah. And that's, that's super important because, you know, if you have something, you don't, you're not always going to get to be passionate about every text or poem or play or novel that you're teaching. But if you have a say in what you're going to teach and you're, yeah. and you're familiar with it and you, and it, it excites you, that will come across um, when, you know, and it's come across with the text that, that I've taught and you're, and you're familiar with many of them where mm-hmm. I, it was, um, I was, I was pretty stoked on this and I could, I could really get into it. And yeah. try to try to light a fire, even on days. And there are some days when you're not especially stoked on anything, where you're just like yeah. kind of tired, or or you're just yeah. not, you have like other non-teacher things on your mind. But I remember there was a kid uh, at a school when I was in Japan. He was uh, 
I, I can't remember his exact words, but he's, he said, uh, you know, you seem so excited about this. Because you know, it's like a snoozy class. You know, it's, it's morning or it's afternoon. And, you know, you're really excited about this. And I say, yeah, you know, somebody has to be. If none yeah. of us are excited about it, like I can't, I can't depend on you to be, but I can, yeah. and it's, if I start the fire, hopefully it'll catch, yeah. catch fire and, and you'll, you'll be that way. And the other, you know, building on that, um, you know, there's a few people in, in, in my life who have been very influential, who's uh, there, they were both, both teachers of mine and people who I worked with when I was younger, who had a, an effect and I would, I would model some, you know, I wouldn't try to copy their behavior, but I saw what they were doing. And I, you know, I, I think I, I can name, I can name them because it's so positive. My, my English teacher in high school, uh, when I was a senior, I think a junior and senior was named Joe Labica. And mm-hmm. Joe Labica was just, I don't know, he was just, a, he just had some kind of, of, he had a quiet enthusiasm about what we were reading. And that's the first time I read Twelfth Night, which is a, mm. a, now I teach Twelfth Night. Yeah. which I really love. And I remember it vaguely then and he, and his, his enthusiasm for it and his classroom presence. And, um, another fellow by the name of, of Rick Branson, who was, who was a headmaster of a school, uh, in the, in the greater Washington DC area, who was a, before becoming an administrator, he was a teacher and he was the, the headmaster of the school I was at in Japan, in Sapporo, Japan. And I, I, I admired him very much. And he gave me a lot of quick, interesting tips and he was very influential. He's, he's a great guy. I'll, be, I'll feel lucky if I get to, to run into either one of those guys again. I guess I could get, yeah. get a hold of him on the internet, but it would be fun to right. see him at the grocery store or not. <laughs> right, right. Um, but the, their enthusiasm there's – there's a, there's a slew of other people, but I don't yeah, go through it. This is not the Academy Awards thank you speech time. <laughs> but those, those, those people were, were uh, important because when you're starting out, when you're a teacher – I mean you can go through a teacher training program. Uh, and you can have student teaching and things like that. But what's eventually you're going to learn on the job. You're going to yeah, most of, of what course. you learn, you're going to learn on the job. And to have people who have gone ahead of you and kind of can show you the ropes is uh, it's crucial. You got to have that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's go back a little bit and and go back to the the moment or the series of moments, I guess, uh, when when you realized that you wanted to become. A teacher or that you want to be involved in education to some degree. I, I do recall just in the course of our conversations that that occurred later for you than mm. it might for other other folks who are in the profession. It did come later. Um, I didn't even, when I was mentioning substitute teaching, that didn't happen until I was, I was probably 31 or 32. Mm-hmm. So I had, I had, you know, graduated from college in the early 90s and I was, I had an English degree, but I didn't know what to do with it. And I, I was, I was, I don't think my experiences were unique. I was a bit aimless and I, I moved around the West Coast and had a series of jobs and a series of friends and you, all the things that, that people do in their 20s and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hanging out, going out, uh, living for today, like the old grassroots song, you know, <laughs> sha-la-la-la, live for, I think it's the grassroots. Anyway, um, uh, don't don't call, don't email if I got the the standard. Right. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> leave your um, comments. But what happened? The, the long and short of it was, after all this like twenties odyssey, I, I started to get tired of of a day to day mindset, and I started to realize that I had a lot of life ahead of me, and I I was I started to become career curious, and I, I looked at my options, which were few. Uh, mm-hmm. I I did not have a great Rolodex of connections. I had an English degree, which is. Uh, you know, well, you have one. So yeah, you know what that's about. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I inqu- I started I, I started substitute teaching, like I said, for for the money because it was kind of the only job around. It was I that's what I was qualified to do, and I started doing that and started enjoying it. And I realized that after having worked uh, both in in manual labor, both skilled and unskilled, retail restaurants, warehouses, and uh, being a, a delivery driver, and, and, uh, and working offices. That was the last job I had before I became a teacher was in an office. And it was just, I, 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 can't, I, I, I can't do this. I cannot yeah. do this. This is, this is so dull. I'm fighting the clock. I'm willing the clock to go faster. And I'm fighting the clock every day. And it's not stimulating me in any way. I think I have more to offer than this. You know, this is not to disparage people that work in office, but it wasn't for me. Sure. Yeah, it wasn't a good fit. So, so uh, the excitement that came from 
uh, substitute teaching kind of bled into to me pursuing the, the, the teacher credentialing program in California, which which is a, a which is a noteworthy program. It's it's a mm-hmm. long slog, and you and you think you're never going to reach the end of it, and you give and you give and you pay and you pay both in money and time. Yeah, and it, you know, that seems like it's never going to happen, and then it finally does. But that I became more and more comfortable with it, and realized that this is this is it both. It provides me with a living that's that's good, and it's also I'm I'm enjoying myself. You know, the day is exciting, even if, if it's yeah. not if it's, if it's not good, it's never dull. And you know, and this is the like you know the, the hokey but true part is you know you're you're doing something good. You mm-hmm. know, you're not just doing something; you're you're kind of helping out a little bit. Um, yeah, uh, you're doing something that's that has some importance. To, somebody's got to do it. I mean, right? Yeah. So it's and it feels good to see kids succeed and gain appreciation for the content and get skills and interact with with you know come from you know we're dealing with literature uh, and to, to see them uh, find joy or meaning or or just to see them affected by that I mean it's, yeah. it's a pretty neat thing I, I talk to, to people in, in the community here who are not involved in, in the school community just people I see uh, at the different places I go to gym shop uh, wherever and I, like we'll talk about stuff and I'll, I'll tell them about things that are going on at school and they'll they'll say wow really that's you know that's interesting um, yeah and, and these yeah. are guys who are like attorneys and, and work at big uh, companies and they're doing yeah. this and they're in charge of this division of that and what they do is important uh, of course but it's they're 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 interested in this other aspect of life and I think it's yeah it's it's nice because when you're in you're, you're doing school stuff you're not just a teacher in the classroom you're also involved no. in the school community you're, you're yeah uh, you got clubs and you have uh, advising you have a larger sphere of stuff that goes on that can that it can you know define your life but it's also very it can it, it's exhausting but fulfilling yeah 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 no and it's crazy that like yeah I I talk with a lot of folks who are not teachers and are not involved with education at all. And they also have like that interest and they hear about the stuff that I'm doing. They're like, Oh, I never knew that. Like that's the kind of stuff that happens in the classroom. That's the kind of stuff that you do, which is crazy because like everyone, most everyone like has that you're interacting with has had a teacher, right. That has been through school. So it's not as if like you're talking about this area that they've had no exposure to, but still when you talk about it, you realize like, wow, this is say what you will about teaching, but it's, it's never not interesting. No, well, yeah, <laughs> it's never not. Always um, something that goes on. There's, you know, there's the, I always, I don't, I don't laugh out loud. I laugh inwardly. Anytime there's a high school uh, scene on television or in the movies, <laughs> there's this big blackboard, right? There's, there's a blackboard, which I haven't seen forever. I don't know. Right. <laughs> there's a big blackboard, these huge windows off, usually, on, you know, the windows on the right or the left, depending on where the camera is. These big, the sun is streaming in and these fabulous wood topped vintage desks in rows with, Kids sitting at the desks, uh, attentive, facing forward, a nice ethnic and gender style mix of kids around. <laughs> and there's a desk in the middle in front and a guy yeah. with a pointer and it's kind of wearing a sort of teacher clothes and he's writing on the board and talking about the three branches of government or something like that. Yeah. And it's like that, that's, that does, that's, that's kind of quaint, but that doesn't look very exciting. And yeah. uh, I can see people get that idea of what goes on when really it's a, it's, it's, it's it can be far less uh, photogenic than that yes. uh, the classroom yeah. situation but both, both literally and figuratively yeah there's there's harsh fluorescent lights and it's either too hot <laughs> or too cold and and, and uh, there's backpacks everywhere and yeah uh, it's and you're yelling of, at kids to like do stuff that you never thought that you'd have to ask them to yeah, do yeah like what do you you never see you know the cell phones you never see cell phones in the hollywood movie they're in the, they're tucked away but you know yeah. getting the cell phones out of the way or and computers on desks and general yeah. kind of like there's nothing quite like a, a classroom. If, it, if the walls could talk, I mean, holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very true. Um, and you also taught abroad for, for quite a while. When, when did that end up happening in, in your overall teaching trajectory? Oh, well, I, I'd love that's That gives me a lot of pleasure to talk about. Um, I was, uh, after the, the initial the experience I related earlier about the, the charter school, which I was, I came back to the the town I'm from in California, and I was I was substitute teaching again, because um, I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't find a job I couldn't find a full time job in the area. Right. So I'm kind of you know subbing at the local high schools, and I was subbing every day. I was 
uh, I had a little, you know, it's who you know and who knows you, and people would call me just personally and come and, and mm -hmm. do it, do it. It was, it was great. I was, I, it was almost like I was, it was almost like I was working there, except I wasn't working there. That's the problem. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, there's no benefits, and it's not that much money. It's enough, but not much. Anyhow, um, two things kind of happened, and I realized in talking to the, the principal of the school, who on, on who I was with good terms with this this, this guy, because there was possibly an opening, and he told me uh, pretty bluntly and politely that uh, we would we would love for you to work here, but you will never have a job here mm. because wow. there's there's too much uh, there's there's a system, uh, and you're at the you're far down the line. Uh, teachers from the middle school, it, it, we hire internally and you're not really an internal person. Yeah. So, but, but he said this, he said, I will help you find what you want in any way I can, but I can't hire you here because I can't, but I will do what I can for you, which I, which I took him up on. I had him, I had him write me some reference letters. The second thing is that I had a, a good friend, uh, my friend, Adam, who, um, we were friends during and after college, still friends. And he had gone he came to a point in life where he was ready to go overseas, and he did. He went over. He went to Korea. He went to um, to Seoul to teach at an international school. And he, when I, when I would see him after that uh, during his visits, he he highly recommended it. Um, he said it wasn't for everybody, but it might be for you. You're in. Mm -hmm. He he said in his advising friend advising way that you're at a position in life much like I am, where you have very little thing, very little tying you down or holding you down, which was yeah. true. I had no spouse. I had very few possessions. I didn't have any debts. I didn't really have any, my credit, my credit column and debt column were pretty much at zero. There was no, mm -hmm. there was no reason not to do it. And I didn't know what else to do. I, I didn't want to uh, stay in the same town and just like uh, spin my wheels. So I went through the, the process of, of, which is a long process. I, it would take hours to explain, but there is a process. And if you get in the process, you know, there's a lot of paperwork and emails and whatnot. So I, in summer of 2005, I sat down at the computer and began the process of looking for a job overseas. And in, I think it was March of 2006, I, I got a call. I had some inter interviews over the phone and over Skype. And I was offered a job in, in Japan. And um, oh, Wow. Yeah, which was which, I didn't really realize what I was getting myself into, yeah. and and I took it, and this was in Sapporo, Japan, and I think I can say the name of the school. It's Hokkaido International School in Sapporo, Japan, a place that I have very fond memories of. So it was a wonderful mm -hmm. place, uh, wonderful kids. But I'll tell you what, man, it was uh, for someone who had never been outside. Yeah. Of America, I'd never I can't been. Can't imagine. Out, yeah, I'd never been outside of the country before. Except like to Vancouver, BC. You know, right, right, right. But like uh, on on a plane in the seat taking off, and it was terrifying. I didn't yeah. know I didn't know where I was going to sleep that night. I didn't yeah. know what was going on. I really didn't know anything. But at the same time, it was really exciting, um, and exciting to a, like like you could feel the excitement and your heart is racing and uh, getting getting to a new country and. You quickly come to the realization: Hey, people around the world don't speak English everywhere. It's not like <laughs> right. It's not like the movies where everybody speaks English with a with an accent from that <laughs> with the British accent. Yeah, um, <laughs> that that was something to get used to. But, yeah, and it was very difficult because I didn't have a lot of guidance, and that was uh, and I taught English and some other subjects, uh, but it was a small school. Uh, still is, and that was a tremendous experience. Once I got, once I found my feet, um, yeah. The opportunity, the, the things that I, I mean, I, I always sounds like I'm bragging when I say stuff like this, but <laughs> to, to to teach internationally, especially to go to Japan, I got really lucky. I, I'm the first one to admit it. Yeah, uh, I I went to a place that now, 12 years or so later, oddly, I the demands or the, the desire by, for people to go overseas, that people had to go overseas and teach is, is risen. And that's yeah. such a hot market that I, I probably, even with much more qualification experience, I probably wouldn't get hired now because there's people who are even better than I am. But, at the <laughs> time, but I got lucky. And it was, yeah. I, spent, I spent a number of years there and uh, learned a lot of like, hands-on, dealing with, with uh, uh, second, language, uh, second language learners, which was a, which was a huge uh, boon that because i hadn't really dealt with that before and then i came that came to be a reality for 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 teaching at that school and subsequently when we went to indonesia for a couple of years it was the same kind of situation um i i would always say to anybody who's who who's thinking about it the overseas route it's a it's a great thing not every not everywhere is great uh yeah 
course. and you'd have to do your research. But if you, if you can make that happen, um, it really does, it really does add something. It was the things I got to do and the, and the places I got to go and the, and, and the, the world I got to live in for a while was very rewarding. It was, you know, I don't use the word transformational very much because it's, you know, it's a bit maudlin, but it was a transformational yeah. time and I, and I won't ever forget it. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like it was a formative time too, just in terms of like also in addition to, you know, the work that you did at your first school, you know, really expanding your your toolbox and your set of tools that would enable you to be a teacher who could handle really any set of circumstances. Oh, uh, most definitely. I mean, there was a lot of on the, you talk about on the job learning. It was it was a it was a situation where that was at the forefront. Yeah, it was it was not a high pressure situation. It was like I said, it was a very small school. I, I taught all the kids from from seven through 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was that small. There were only uh, about 150 kids in the whole K through 12. So there was learning on the job with, you know, there are, there are many stereotypes about uh, students, Asian students, um, mm-hmm. uh, that those stereotypes exist. Um, and to, I, I can't say they're all true, <laughs> but yeah, there, right. there was, I think there was a culture of respect that exists in some places and that is, that is more intense than others in Japan. That culture of respect is very is very intense, and that you see that in the classroom. I don't yeah. think that's prejudicial to, to say that. Um, the other thing about that particular experience was that I was lucky enough to be exposed to some really excellent professional development opportunities, which made a real difference. Uh, learning a lot about curriculum and instruction and differentiation. Um, mm-hmm. I had some really great workshops that. Um, you know, workshops are good across the board. You get to you, you work on things. You're you're working with your colleagues. You're you're picking mm-hmm. up new knowledge. But some of these that I, I dealt with uh, at that particular school were um, they were really high octane, and I still I still have the, the the physical literature that I got from them, and the the experiences that the things that I did there and picked up were were were, were terrific. So in that respect, it was it was a valuable experience as well because of the the, the professional development that, that was that was afforded to us as a staff. Yeah, that's great. It's great to have those experiences, especially when there's like actual actual payoff. Um, so I'd love to talk a little bit about what you were like as a student, and you can think about that in really in any terms of your overall trajectory as as a learner. But I'm curious about yeah, what you were like as a student, what your experience was like as a learner, and how that how that's impacted you and influenced your own teaching style and approach. Well, um, I'd like to say that I was a, a bright young go-getter in high school, but in fact, I, I wasn't a very good student in high school. Mm-hmm. I was smart. I mean, I, I was not a dumb kid. I was, I was just too distracted. I was not very mature at all. And in high school, anyhow, well, in, you know, in grade school and, and, uh, in grade school and junior high, I, I did I did well. I was I was curious. I always was good at reading and writing. It, it came easy to me, and I was taught well. I believe mm-hmm. um, I wasn't too good with figuring, ciphering numbers. Didn't didn't do too well with those, but uh, <laughs> um, I, I I've gotten through. But uh, when I got to high school, there's I think I just fell prey to adolescent distractions, and uh, I mean I wasn't I wasn't like a delinquent or anything, but I just wasn't plugged in as much as I could have been yeah uh, so I wasn't a great student and I you know the first time I got a 3.0 grade point average was the, the halfway through my senior year and it was it was like this big deal I was so proud that I got a, that I got B average because I was right screwing up so bad. and my you know my parents I don't know what they thought I they I don't know they they stayed the course mm-hmm. so uh, anyway but I wasn't I was I enjoyed school, but I really, I think I enjoyed the, the being with other people in the social aspect. And I really enjoyed some classes. I enjoyed English class. I enjoyed art class. I liked PE, uh, but math was difficult. And, you know, I wasn't organized. I, I don't know. I, I think you're probably thinking, you can probably think of students like this now that, yeah. that you may have. And I can think of, yeah, I can sure. see myself in them. And it's easy for me to say, you need to organize yourself. You need right. to find an org- you need to find an organizational system. Use your planner, <laughs> but that's you know. <laughs> but I, you know, then I was more interested in in you know getting new new mag wheels for my my Ford Torino, and yeah. uh, and getting the new uh, the new Smiths album. So yeah. Um, but when I went to college, uh, I found I found a lot of joy in my English classes. 
because um, I did, I did, I did go to college. I went to college locally, where I, where I grew up, went to Cal State Chico, and I found a lot of uh, fun. And I loved creative writing, loved it, loved it. Um, and I enjoyed my English classes. I still remember a lot mm-hmm. of those, a lot of the, the material from that. Uh, but I didn't get very good grades. Uh, the point of this is, this is all happening between the ages of zero and and about twenty four. When yeah. I graduated with some some asterisks at the bottom of the page, I needed to take some more math classes, which I eventually did at a junior college. <laughs> um, when I came, so I went and lived in the in what is often referred to as the real world. Um, people call it that, and it was pretty real. And yeah. when I came back at thirty, and I went back to college, I went back to the same college, as a matter of fact, to to get. Uh, I didn't get a, I didn't get a master's at that time. I was getting the teaching credential, which one must have to teach in public school in California. And I had to take uh, a slew of electives, w- which I did. And I was a completely different person then because I was grown up, and I had I knew about the actions and their consequences, responsibility, uh, managing one's personal resources, if you will. And I, I was, I, I was an intellectual late bloomer as a, as a learner. Sure. Um, yeah. And I also, when I was going to school in, in full adulthood, you know, many would, many would scream at their, at their phone or computer right now saying 25 is full adulthood, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for me, uh, it was, it was, it came a little late. Um, I, there was more at stake too. I was doing this. I, there was a direct correlation between my hard work and and success. And I, I worked very hard as a as a, as an adult student. Um, and I took a lot of pride in I, I, I took pride in my schoolwork. And I wanted to to do well. I wanted to. Yeah. I already wanted to impress the professor. I, I, I liked discussions in class. Uh, I liked doing the work and mastering. And this just this wasn't just uh, uh, it was it was English and and, and pedagogical classes but there were also there was a computer class and there was a grammar class which you had to take and i was remember working really hard and i my 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 overarching memory of that is getting up on saturday mornings and putting my getting my bag full of stuff and a snack and coffee getting in the car and driving to the school library and parking going into the library and working for two hours and studying Mm -hmm. and typing my notes and going over them um that would if i had just done that yeah uh a decade earlier, I don't know what would have happened, but I, I didn't yeah. have what it took then. So my, my learning as a learner, I wasn't, it wasn't that I wasn't curious, but um, I, all, all of my curiosity was trumped by being a, essentially an adolescent knucklehead who, yeah, right. who eventually grew up. And, and so when I, when I deal with students who have issues about scholarship and they're, you know, they're, they're dropping the ball or they're screwing up or whatever, which happens, I don't care what school you are at, you're going to have kids who are oh, yeah. need help. It doesn't matter how, you know, whatever, you're going to have that. Um, I always have this, this empathy for them because I understand that it's not, it's not a defect, you're not a defective model. Um, this is, this just happens, you know, eventually you'll get the picture. Um, with kids who have, who I can, I can think of kids now, uh, like when they were in, in eighth or ninth grade that I knew, who were, it was, it was just like, everybody was throwing up their hands. Oh my God. You know, this, yeah. what, what are we going to do? This, you know, what's going to happen? This is just a terrible disaster. It's just a train wreck of a kid. He can't, keep, <laughs> can't keep his papers together. He doesn't know what's going on. And then, uh, you know, a few years later, that, that individual is, is just fine. Yeah. They're off doing things and, and they're, they're in college or they're, they're in a, they're in a, a career of some kind or on a track and they're okay. Um, so as, as a learner, I always was curious about stuff and I always enjoyed, I enjoyed writing and I, and I enjoyed reading. I was always a voracious reader. I, uh, I loved stories and I saw they, they affected me greatly, you know, yeah. even as a, as a kid and all through adulthood, they still do, but loving, you know, loving, loving a subject, um, be it math or biology or something, doesn't necessarily translate into being a good student in it. Uh, it it's often does, but it, it's, that's not. Yeah. Uh, well, not sometimes it will translate later on, like once you're able to activate that passion and really tap into oh, that yeah. level of focus and apply it to other things and know what it looks like to apply it to other things. Because you just don't always have that intentionality, you know, between the ages of whatever, 12 and 18. Oh, God, no. Um, in fact, most most don't probably. Yeah, I, most you know, don't. 
students will ask, you know, not all the time, but if in, in casual moments, you know, what kind, you know, what was your, what was the high school like for you? What were you like? What was it like? And I, I'll tell them an abridged version of what I've just uh, shared with you is that it, I'll laughingly say it's funny because I, you know, the, for the first three years of high school, I didn't do very well in English and I didn't get very good grades. But you have to, yeah, they're, right. we're different now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all different now. Right, it was harder for me. Uh, yeah, it was different then. Uh, you know, writing on the back of the shovel and all that. With right. <laughs> whatever, whatever Abe Lincoln did, I think it was it. right. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd love to talk a little bit about how you feel we fail our students, or what it looks like when we as either individual teachers, individual classrooms, or a system as a whole, what it looks like when we're not serving our students as well as, as we should be and not really allowing them to be their best or reach their, their full potential or really whatever, however you want to look at it. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a long, difficult... Uh, yes. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll say, I think that... Okay, well, you want perfect world scenario? We completely dismantle the entire education system and start from scratch. Okay, now I got that out of the way. Right. <laughs> um, that's that's a tall order. I think that there's a there's a lot of aspects to our, to the education system that that we see that I see and I assume that you see every day where there's particular classes, particular subjects that that you go through these years and you do this stuff and you get grades and then you get uh, you graduate and then you go to college and stuff. Um, and part parts of it seem seem kind of archaic to me. Um, yeah. I mean, we're, I don't know if we're failing our students, but sometimes I think that there, there are kids, here we go. There are, there are kids and there's probably more than, more than a few. And it doesn't matter if they're at a, at a, a high, high dollar private school or at a public school or whatever, who would, who might be better suited learning different stuff than they are. Yeah. Um, now that's, that's a nice, weird, vague statement for me to make, but, uh, <laughs> um, and this is, you know, this is why I, 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 you know, I don't want to get in trouble here, but there, there's a lot of kids who, who aren't going to go into uh, organic, become an organic uh, chemist, or they're not going to become a lawyer or a financial advisor, or yeah, or they're, they're, they they want to do other stuff. Um, they want to, they're they're mechanical. Uh, they they want to create things. They want to be artists, yeah. or they want to be, um, they, they want to do stuff with their hands, and those are all good things. There's nothing wrong with that, but we don't necessarily prepare everybody in high school for for those those particular careers now the, the other the other side of that is well high school is and school is not a job preparation program right right uh, well um i don't know i mean <laughs> that's that's worth the bit i don't think it should be right, but so right. many people look at it as one um yeah people are uh, uh, People go to college. I don't know, maybe maybe two hundred years ago, you went to college to enrich your life and to learn the classics and to uh, become a, a gentleman uh, <laughs> or, and, a, and a proper lady. But now we, we want we want stuff we can use. Uh, we want marketable skills that will help us live a, a fruitful, productive life. I suppose. And and how well high school prepares us to do that, I'm not sure. Uh, I'd like to think that it gives us foundational things, and you know, we got. Why do we learn math? Well, so we could do algebra after high school. No, you learn math because it teaches your brain to work a certain way, and it, it actually yeah. exercises a part of your brain. Well, why do we do English? Uh, because it, uh, Shakespeare is important, right? Uh, well, yeah, I guess he's important, but it also teaches you to, to work with metaphor and symbolism and, and deal with language on a higher level, and to and to critically think and make connections. Why do we learn history? Well. Because you can, so you can memorize the, the names of the presidents and when they were elected. No, you get it. So you have a perspective of of the past and and what has happened and how that could affect what will happen and is happening. Um, and and science. Well, why do we learn science? So you can memorize the periodic table. No, you learn science because somebody has to learn science. It's because it's it's how things work. That's how the world operates on a physical level. So yeah. th that was a. This has become a very long and convoluted answer to your question. No, but, no, no, no. But, but serving our kids is. I, I see it as as giving them, giving them the tools and knowledge and skills to go forward and be successful in the things that they want to engage in. And in some, there's hills and valleys. In some aspects, we do that extremely well. And and then there's deficits as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be great if you know every kid had a, a teacher and that teacher uh, taught them through life and everybody and learning was extremely personalized and you spent time doing things outside and learning about different ways that the world works 
that sounds expensive and logistically difficult to me. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about is just the way that we frame the material to our students as well and mm. recognize that we have to really make sure that it is it's serving them well and that, you know, it's not that the material itself has to change, although that that's true as well. There's probably stuff that we don't need to be teaching anymore or don't need to focus on as much, but also just looking at the material that we do have and making sure that we are framing it in a way that is, you know, that makes it marketable and accessible to students of all of all types. Uh, well, you know, funny you should mention that from a from a language art standpoint, from an English standpoint, although it, it applies to all the content areas to to and it's a relatively, I guess it's a modern idea as opposed to an archaic old timey idea is to, to help students find some kind of meaning, uh, mm -hmm. personal meaning in, in what they're engaging in to kind of see how that how it reflects on their own lives and how it reflects on the world and what it says about the world. Yeah. Um, as opposed to reading a particular novel and not placing it in the context of its time and what it means yeah. and how it reflects things. And I, I, I'm sure that in the past, you know, people read a particular novel because it's important. This is what people read. And it's so that you'll know about it. And it's... Yeah. Uh, whereas I think a more modern approach to that is is reflecting on the, the meaning behind it and, and the, some of the deeper issues that it dredges up. And that's why you got to pick good material, too. Because if there's very yeah. few... If there's no issues to dredge, then pick something else. Yeah, it's a book club. Um, yeah, there's got to be something to, to, to talk about. There's got to be some, some loam, some moss down there to, to dig through. And I used to be skeptical about, uh, like, early on, you know, how, finding personal meaning in the work. Well, you know, the book's important. You know, it's not about you. Well, okay, okay. You know, I, I've changed my tune a bit yeah. since then, where it's okay yeah. to use this, this particular uh, work of literature or, you know, this you can apply this to other... I, I'm just talking about literature because that's what I know, but you apply this particular uh, work of literature to to the world and to, to your life and how people are. And let's talk about the, the context in which this happens yeah. and, and uh, some of the some of the issues that arise from, from this. And I think that's... If, if we do more of that, and I, and I hope I do, uh, I strive to anyway, um, than to just teach, you know, Here's here's you know, chapter test chapter test chapter test to have the have the the, the work um, be impactful and, and memorable and meaningful to where you, you think back on that character maybe they're like you maybe they're not like you where you you, you yeah. empathize with a situation in it you you are moved by a relationship that you see or a conflict that is resolved or not resolved and you, you feel some some sort of involvement or investment in the work uh, that you that gives it gives it real meaning. Um, and that's this is the, this, these are things that, that have come to me through 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 a bit of experience now and through uh, talking to others teachers other teachers and and all you know, talking to kids and, and seeing them get get invested in particular uh, texts and, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So what what um in looking back at your own teaching trajectory and your your experiences, what what does it look like when you, as, as like an individual, like might fail your students or just might fail in, in the classroom? When, when do you feel like you're not particularly at, at your best in terms of trying to communicate the material or reach your students or, or, or maintain and cultivate an enriching educational environment or whatever? Well, some of these things are really particular. Sometimes I feel like there's, there's, there's not enough time. Mm. I need more time. I want more time to do things. And the, the school yeah. year, I'll speak for myself, but you may agree, the school year tends to be crammed, crammed full yes. of stuff, and there's, there's just yep. not enough time. Uh, kids are, kids are, are doing so much, um, yep. and that's just the way life is now. They're, they're, the day is, is packed, and I just feel like I'm rushing. I'm rushing through yep. stuff. Yep. And I also feel like um, I wish I could... Uh, I wish I could have things not be so much about, uh, you know, big exams and uh, yeah, and and grades. Now I know that grades are important. It's it, they're crucial. It's kind of the grades are sort of the, the currency of, of kids. I mean, they <laughs> yeah. like grades. Points. Points are like like silver coins that you gather up. <laughs> um, and it, it's it's easy for me to say, well, it's not about the, the grades, but sometimes it, for for. A, for a junior yeah. or senior who's 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 gunning for the future, it is about the grades. So there's sometimes if we're if we're de dealing with a particular text or something, I'd I'd love to take three weeks and just like just 
sink into it like it's a, a warm bath and we're going to just get we're just going to tear we're going to tear this thing apart and we're going to yeah. do all these activities and this this project and we're going to make these do these extensions and all this stuff and we can't uh now that's now i'm just what i'm doing here is i'm blaming time but and <laughs> there's people who are probably screaming at the podcast well you need to find ways to do that right, probably, right. right. 50 um, minutes is enough yeah, yeah so those kind of things I feel like I'm letting them down when we're, when we're, when we're just kind of like, we're scratching, we're skipping the stone across the surface so we can get to checkpoint, yeah. checkpoint A, checkpoint B, checkpoint C. Um, that's, that's something I'd rather not have. And I, I try to be, you know, I have my bad days and my good days, but mostly I have pretty good days. That's, that's not a yeah. problem. Um, yeah. Or th- there are times, I mean, as an English with English anyway, you end up having to read a lot of things. You read a lot of mm-hmm. kids, uh, students' papers and essays and stuff like that. And there are some times when, when uh, you read them with great interest and, and great focus. And, and there are times when you, when you don't, uh, you, you get tired yeah. or you just, you, you've read so many and you've read more. And, or, and if, if I was, so I strive to be one of those teachers. And I don't know if I'll ever accomplish this. That gives every everything to each to each essay that comes in, like copious mm-hmm. amounts of notes in the margins, an yeah. entire page of reflection on the back, and and yeah. lots of highlighting and and uh, arrows. Kids like arrows. Sure. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> kids like arrows and highlighting. But um, <laughs> that that is not something that I have managed to make happen a hundred percent of the time. Yeah, well, a lot of that comes down to time as well, right? Like how you're using your time and what you're yeah. dedicating your time to. And you can only focus on so many things. So it's a matter of like what you choose to focus on, either within a class period or within your own, quote unquote, free time that you dedicate to yeah. grading and planning and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the the timing thing resonates with me because I, I think not only are, by and large, our class periods not long enough and we don't have enough time to cover the material, we're just, we just have kids going through... They're just, they're just doing too much over the course of the school day. They're engaging with too many different types of classes and having to like switch their brains to all these different modes and really not spending enough time like sinking into a particular subject. So what you're saying resonates with me in, in a lot of ways. So it's not just me. It's not just you. Okay. You're not alone. Because yeah. uh, that, that issue, I've, I've, you know, I've uh, observed it for quite a few years now. You probably have too, where it just seems like the, the day is so accelerated. Yeah, um, it is, and that's how we become. It's it ha- it didn't happen in a moment, but it's kind of been a gradual uh, acceleration of things. Where it's it's, um, I mean, there's particulars of how things are scheduled and how the day looks. But, sure. But regardless whether you have forty five minute classes or blocks or whatever, you're still there. Still seems to be so much going on. And if yeah. you stand back, it's easy to say, well, that's good. It's good. We have a rich, you know, kids need a rich life full of experiences and lots of stuff to do. But for sure. crying out loud, I will joke. Uh, it's like it's almost like the big joke in the class is uh, when you go home tonight, kids, and you take your novel out to the backyard and lean up against the oak tree in the backyard to read it with a glass of lemonade that your that your mom gave you as you wait for dad to come home and hear his car in the drive and you read a few chapters of this novel and they just scream. That's just like that's so archaic. Yeah. It's just never going to happen. Most of them, yeah. <laughs> most they laugh and laugh. It's like this this fifties uh, thing, you know. The, yeah. the dad honks the horn, the mom's in a, in a gingham skirt with the with, with, with the apron. Lemonade. Yeah, that's just. I would love to to, and that I know I don't think that even happened when I was a little kid, but yeah, that kind of luxury of time would be would be great for them. But there there's so many activities and sports and clubs and kids are you know. But the other thing is, but however, the, the however to this is, kids are extremely active today, extremely engaged in the world. At least the kids that I that I interact yeah. with. Yeah, for uh, sure. Are, are are plugged into the the workings of the of the larger world in a far more intense way than I ever was, and that's yep, partially because I, yeah. I was a bit of a slug. But they were these <laughs> kids are like they're doing stuff. They're volunteering. They've got jobs. They're involved in this community thing. They're doing projects with theater and music and all these things, which are terrific. But it does tend to it takes up every minute of the day. So you yeah. realize you, you end up realizing that your English assignment is there on the on the hierarchy of stuff to do <laughs> might be somewhere it might be like ten or fifteen items down and that right. that's an, and you have to you have to like kind of deal with that you you have to accept yeah. those things you can't yeah, be like, okay take, with that you can't take too much issue with that because that's how it that's how it's going these days 
Yeah, absolutely. So, and in, in, in going back to just like your, your overall teaching trajectory and experience, I'm, I'm curious about, as we move into the final stages of our, of our conversation, I'm curious about just large takeaways that you've stumbled onto in terms of like what it means to be an effective educator or what makes it easier, like maybe something you would communicate to a young educator, which is, is fitting for the sake of our conversation yeah. and our pre-existing dynamic. Um, but yeah, I'm curious about what just what you feel is like the large takeaway and things that you constantly remind yourself of or recently have begun reminding yourself of. Well, um, this this will sound kind of this might sound weird, but there I, I've thought about this before. Like if someone were to say what what is what is you know key to success? How do you how do you make it all work? And the first answer is uh, you have to stay with it. Um, you can't just you can't uh, let the first year or two or three define your how it's going to be because it's that those are the darkest times. That's why so yeah. many, that's why so many teachers freaking bail out is because it's like okay my salary's low. I'm working really hard. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm learning a lot, but it's it's just so it's so exhausting and confusing. That yeah. that's that horrible trial that you go through, and those that stick with it after after a number of years, uh, five or six years, you start to become more comfortable. You start to see where the landmines are buried, and you get your second sight. You get eyes growing out of the back of your head. You start to, <laughs> to have a, a sixth sense, and you and you and you then then it becomes a true a, a true pleasure. Then you're in pleasure pleasureville, and you're and you're doing and you're, and you're off and running. Yeah. But there's there's and for some it takes longer, and for some they get get right into it. Uh, that's that's what I that's my experience anyway. Uh, secondly, yeah. is there's a there's a couple things um, that I, I think it's really clear. Um, there's sort of like a, a tripod of elements that you need, and maybe there's even another leg to this stool. But mm-hmm. you have to first of all uh, have a a good grasp, not an expertise, uh, but a good grasp of your content area. You need to be versed in it. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't need to be an expert in it. I'm not. Right. I, I'm. You know. I teach. For every Shakespeare play that I that I'm very familiar with, there's five that I haven't even read. Yeah. But and I, you know, it's but I, so I'm not a Shakespeare expert, but I I know, uh, you know, the the plays that I know and I know them well. Um. So having a knowledge of of your of your of yeah content content area knowledge. Secondly, uh, you have to have um and develop over time. You gotta have uh pedagogical tricks. You gotta have a variety of things that you do in the classroom that are interesting and engaging and change things up. Yeah. It's just going to have to happen. Um, and that's another thing that young teachers, they may not know that stuff. Maybe they haven't had the, the training or they haven't had the exposure to it. And so you either do weird, you know, you, you flat founder, flounder, founder, whichever it is, or you, um, <laughs> or, or you, or you talk. Uh, Cause that's what I did. I remember I didn't know what to do. So I just talked, which, yeah. uh, which is exhausting. And if you do yes, that for five, everyone, yeah, five times a day for forty-five minutes of you talking because you don't know what else to do. But that's that's an ancient history now. So having a, a a list a list I say list, but a a group of activities and things that you do with the class to help to bring them in, into closer intimacy with the content, whatever content that might be. So there's the second thing. The third thing is there's a certain amount of of charisma that that is either innate or can be developed over time. You have to know how to deal with kids. Um, and interact with adolescents, uh, speaking of high school, uh, and have that sort of um, rapport or empathy or, or sense of humor that's mixed with seriousness that allows you to have a daily relationship with kids because they can be volatile, but they're, they're fragile, but they're also tough. So you have to have a, a, the kind of develop, if you must, the kind of personality that, is, that works when you're interacting with kids. Um, to have those and this is by the way this is not like I'm not pulling this out of the air these are things that that have been discussed by others than than myself but these these three things if you have if you have a combination of those things you're going to be doing okay and there's a fourth thing and that is that you're that it really helps to be a good co-worker Mm. Um, yes that's uh, you you can have all that stuff you can have subject matter brilliance you can have uh a fabulous array of activities and things you do with the kids, pedagogical uh, uh, spectrum of stuff, and you can have uh, wicked charisma. Uh, but uh, if if you don't get along with with folks, it, it makes stuff makes it tough. Uh, yeah, yeah. No man is an island, and that's especially not. true in in education. Yeah. That was that was sort yeah. of a that was sort of a 
overarching answer to that question but I, no no that's all great and that all that all resonates and it all it all ties into you know one another just in terms of like yeah of having like a, a set of tools and a set of things that you can tap into um whether it's you know your activities whether it's your charisma whether it's your ability to work well with other people. I mean, it's just all a part of the things that you will most likely have to tap into in your time as an educator at, at different points throughout the school year or over the case of your over the course of your 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 teaching career. So it all resonates with me. Charisma sounds like sort of a hucksterish word, like you're trying to sell <laughs> like a used car to the kid. But to have right. a, the kind of person, a, a, a warm personality that, that allows you to interact in an authentic way. And, yeah. and show that you are that you're that you're engaged and that you care uh, about about them and what they're doing. The um, the caring about kids that that was one of the last that was one of the most difficult things. The last things that I that I finally got that got that gospel is in in the beginning of my career I was yeah. very much like this is me. There's a little wall. This is my this is my life, and I'm going to come and I'm going to teach and you know, I'll be friendly to you. But I was I was not. Uh, trained or I didn't have it in me to sort of like break down those walls and be a little yeah. bit more interactive and, and, and engage more. But over time um, I've, I've come to, to loosen up. I mean, a lot, a lot more than I used to. Um, wow. And yeah. I tend to be more, to kind of give, give that, that little dark, not dark. I shouldn't say it's dark, a private part of my <laughs> private part of myself over and let it, let it show in the classroom. Um, yeah. It's like a sense of vulnerability and authenticity. Well, I became I, I I became an adult, and I was suddenly realized I have to be I'm the adult here, and I'm yeah. Kids are kids need kids need a good adult presence because they're they're with you a heck of a lot. They uh, sure are. More, yeah. More sometimes more than their mom or dad or, or whoever. So yeah, you got to be the grown up. Yeah. Know? But that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. You know, you got to show it is. this is this is what it's like to be a good adult. It's true. So the last thing I'm going to ask you to do um, is is participate in, I guess, what I refer to as the 30-second challenge, if oh. you're feeling up for a challenge currently. <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose. I, I, <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to do something stupid. Um, no, no, is it no. Is like, no, a, you, like you a quiz show, like a game show? A yeah, some, something like that. Something like that. We don't have much of a prize at the end of the day, but it's, it's something. I uh. guess personal satisfaction is, is some sort of prize if you're into that. Um, so what I'm going to ask you to do is capture your essence as an educator, or you can think about it in terms of maybe pitching yourself as an educator uh, to the best of your ability in 30 seconds. So whatever comes to mind, uh, just describing yourself, what it's like to be in a, in a classroom with, with Terrence Wilson, what that experience is going to be like, really whatever comes to mind. Um, there's no right or wrong answer here. Um, it's just about what is what is true to you in this particular moment. So I have 30 seconds on the clock. I will let you know when I when you have ten seconds left. Um, do you have any have any questions? Uh, no, I, this is going to be tough, but I'll I'll give it a try. Sure. Yeah, I recognize it's it is a difficult thing, so I'm not. I don't mean to present it like it's some sort of a some sort of cakewalk or child's play. So, all right. Well, if you're ready, I'm going to go ahead and start. In three, two, one, go. Well, as far as being a teacher and having my own classroom, I would say that uh, if I was addressing you as a student, I would, uh, my, my goal is to have you feel comfortable um, to, to create an environment in which, in which you can succeed. Ten seconds. A place that you want to come to every day. I want you to have fun, but I want you to learn something as well, and I want you to remember it. That's it. Perfect. Perfect. That's great. Now, what I would like you to do in the second round is do exactly what you just did. So pitch yourself or, or capture your essence as an educator um, in, in 10 seconds. Okay? So I have 10 seconds on the clock. And uh, we'll go ahead and start in 3, 2, 1, go. I'm kind of like a two-sided thing where one side's kind of hard and one side's kind of soft. But when you put them together, it's just right, teacher-wise. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, now what I'd like you to do just for the final round is, is pitch yourself as an educator or capture your essence as an educator in just one single word. Bittersweet. 
that that works for me. That works for me. I wasn't expecting that, but that works for me. You can't provide any explanation. Oh, um, when we talk about poetry in class, um, there's it's kind of become like this joke, not a joke, uh-huh. a, a, a class meme where um, so many poems will will default to saying, you know, this has a bittersweet tone. Yeah, and the kids kind of like. Like there are many things like we were reading Robert Frost and like look listen to this it's a reminiscent nostalgic bittersweet tone and they'll right. <laughs> they like love the word bittersweet oh it's a bittersweet tone Mr. Wilson yeah yeah, yeah. it probably yeah. out of out of context is almost completely surreal but I don't sure care. yeah I don't care. no but it captures <laughs> it seems like it captures it's a captures some essence of it and there's a lot of carryover into into what we do here so it works for me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me, Terrence. Um, I've obviously referenced this a couple different times over the course of our of our conversation, but um, you, in a lot of ways, saw me, and I would say you could really condense it into like the the early childhood years and the like awkward preteen and moody teenage. And then, like adult years of of my time as a, as an educator, um, really condensed into, into the two years we spent together in Memphis. So, I appreciate I appreciate all of that. Um, I've I've expressed this to you privately, but I'll do this publicly as as well, just to properly embarrass you. Um, Thanks. Just that 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 yeah, that you know your your own teaching style is is been very formative in my own, um, and just being in the classroom and watching what you do and, and working with you has been really, really cool. So it was, it was important to me that I get you on the podcast in the first, the first season. Um, and I think it's really appropriate as I, as I near the end of, of my first season that I sort of round things out with, with you. Cause you're obviously an, an important educator on my own, uh, my own trajectory as, as a teacher. So I appreciate that. Oh, I, I, um, thank you so much, John. Um, I, I recall our time together and I, and I remember, and I, I know that it was, it was a, a, it was a difficult, but important time for you. Mm-hmm. And I was glad to be there to, to give you what el- whatever help or, or guidance I could. And, and as, as I always remember saying, this, this all kind of, it all kind of worked out and, and now yeah. you're, you're, you're doing great things. I mean, I've, I've, I have exactly zero podcasts to my name. And <laughs> so far, I'm, so far. Yeah, I'm still like my plan today is to rake the yard right. um, <laughs> after this. But I, I really appreciate that. That's that's good. It's good, and it's interesting to note that that there's a legacy that goes on as a heritage. Where in this, in, in many careers, but in this one, in particular, where an individual is affected by those that came before him and, and taught him or her what to do. And that individual yeah. goes and, and passes on that those skills to the next uh, generation, and and hopefully that that perpetuates and keeps it alive. Yeah, I I hope so. And and your legacy uh, manifests itself in a in a and I guess a a practical and physical way in the sense that um, obviously you have a very deep affinity for uh, for Snoopy and and the Peanuts uh, cartoons, uh, and and on all of my syllabi um, and on all of my class pages, there's they all have like some sort of like Snoopy figure that correlates to whatever the subject is. So for the introduction to literature, uh, there's, he's holding a bunch of books in the American literature course. He's, he's walk, he's marching with an American flag with Woodstock behind him with a small American flag, uh, creative writing. He's in front of a typewriter. And even with my advisory, it's, it's Snoopy holding a bunch of, of Woodstocks close to him and, and hugging them. So it, uh, it manifests itself in a, in a physical way. And my students always ask like, why, why are you so obsessed with Snoopy? And I'll say, well, there's a teacher who, very important to me who <laughs> has, has a deep affinity for Charles Schultz's uh, lovely creatures. So, so it's there in a literal way as well. So I thought you'd appreciate knowing that. Good grief, John LeMay. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, I, I very much do. That's wonderful to hear. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you again, Terrence. Really appreciate it. John, you have a, a, a great holiday. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. My thanks to Terrence for taking the time to speak with me. If you enjoyed listening to our conversation, please rate, review, and share with someone who might enjoy Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge. This podcast was created and hosted by me, John LeMay. Our associate producer is Emily Moeller. Our cover art is by Katie Cooper. And our theme music is You Need a Visa by Really From. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me next week for another episode featuring another teacher and another story. 